This episode is sponsored by Whoop. If you don't know what Whoop is, it is a fitness tracker. You've probably seen it on the wrist of guys like Rory or Justin Thomas, Tiger, Scott Stallings. And they're using it to track a few different metrics. One is strain. The other is recovery and sleep. And from what I've seen, what I've heard, most people talk about recovery and sleep as being these metrics that they're really enjoying diving into. Recovery is really simply how well you're ready to perform the next day. The more that you're recovered, the better you can perform at your peak. It's a stat that is worth tracking, and I've found a lot of value personally and from what I've heard other pros talking about with me of how they're using it. Whoop is a sponsor of the podcast and has given us an awesome discount code. You can use GSL to get a discount when you pick up your Whoop band. And we also have a Whoop team, which is awesome. So everybody in the Golf Science Lab community who's picked up a band, we can kind of see what everyone's doing. You can make this into a game and try to get to your best when it comes to sleep and recovery and what you're doing with strain. So you can head over to golfsciencelab.com slash Whoop, and there's a code that you can uh, enter in and join our team. It'd be really fun to get everyone who's picked up a Whoop band involved on that. So make sure to check that out. And Whoop.com, code GSL for discount. You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking to the leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. Welcome back down to the Golf Science Lab podcast. It's good to be sitting back down with you wherever you are at, if you're at the gym, driving to the golf course, hopefully. <laughs> um, it is good to hang out. Today, we're sitting down with Mac Barnhart. Mac is a longtime agent out on the PGA Tour. He's been with Davis Love the Third since the 90s. He has worked with guys like Lucas Glover, Jonathan Bird, and now he kind of works as a performance coach as well. And so I wanted to pick his brain on his experiences with these elite level golfers, these golfers that are performing at the best or the best in the world at what they do, what are the most important factors? Like what's, you know, what actually matters at that level? What are they paying attention to and what are they not paying attention to? So this is a great conversation. Uh, if you want to envision this, we're sitting at a screened in porch kind of area around a table uh, at Frederica Golf Club. Uh, the putting green is off to one side in the range and the sun is setting. It was really great. And actually, we have a video of this if you want to watch it over on YouTube as well. But uh, it was fun to sit down. This was during the time that I was at Frederica for a couple of weeks working on some of the great projects. Uh, one of them is actually live right now. It's called The Offseason Project. It's just a, a video series on YouTube that you can watch. I'm trying to answer the question of when you take time off, what should you do when you get started again? So that's what I did. Jackson Court and I, he's an awesome instructor went through this process and there's two episodes live right now and you should definitely go check that out over on youtube golf science lab the off-season project but other than that let's get into this conversation with mac we're gonna hear some good stories learn some good lessons from him on what it takes to really perform at our best this episode is also sponsored by super speed golf super speed golf is one of the makers of the best training system to help you swing faster and they've just come out with a brand new product called Super Speed C, which is all about helping you increase your hand and arm speed by counterweight training. 
This is brand new. It just came out. I've been testing it for a little while. Super curious about this. We did a webinar with the guys. Uh, you can see the recording over at golfsciencelab.com slash superspeedwebinar to learn more about Superspeed C and what it's all about. I think you're going to definitely want to do that as it's training something that I'm not sure if we've been able to train before on the golf swing. So golfsciencelab.com slash superspeedc to get all the details. It's fun to sit down. We're at Frederica Golf Club. This is a place that you hang out at. And we got to walk around yesterday. We watched a mini tour event. It's super fun. It's been great to hang out. Thanks for spending the time. Absolutely. Appreciate Lots it, man. Lots of fun. So if people don't know you, how do you introduce yourself? Gosh, um, I'm in the sports management business, which sometimes can be referred to as an agent. I can be referred to as a coach. I can be referred to as a life coach, a performance coach, all of the above. Gotcha. And who are some of the who are some of the players you've worked with over the years in that capacity? Well, I've been I was with Davis Love the Third for a long, long time. But Lucas Glover, Jonathan Bird, Brant Snedeker, Harris English, Brian Harmon, lots. So we were walking around yesterday watching these guys. Uh, it's a G Pro tour, this mini tour. I'm sure you've walked around mini tour events and looked at players like that hundreds of times. Absolutely. Right? And you've seen players at all different levels, from the highest of highs to that level. What do you look for? Like when, when we're out there walking around, like what do you think is the difference between someone there and then someone who's going to make it? Finally the... make it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of tendencies that, that great players have. Their approach to each shot seems to be almost the same cycle of time, uh, standing over, regardless if it's a driver or a wedge or a putt, they seem to spend the same amount of time in their pre-shot routine and then once the ball, you know, make contact. So you can see that. You know, watching reactions are what I do mostly out there. You know, it's a tough game. You're going to get bad breaks. You're going to get good breaks. How people react to that. And the guys that seem to keep the steady forward motion going are the ones that seem to have the greatest chance to make it out there. The highs and low guys, you know, they just seem to have shorter careers overall on tour. You can look at anybody out on tour. You know, Davis Love's a perfect example. I mean, you can't tell if he made an eagle or a triple. And and it just doesn't change what his job is, which is the next shot. And so these guys you see out there, they're reacting to every shot. You know, the good or bad, it's just not businesslike. And that's what you see, the tendencies. You mentioned like it's a marathon, right? You have to conserve your energy. You have to like go through all the steps to understand. I mean, the way that you work with players, it's for decades, hopefully, right? Yeah, 30 years, yes. It's the approach and, and, you know, people that have incredible careers, you know, they get beat so many times. They lose so many times. And if you're looking at it in a win-lose scenario, you're going to be always in this, either I'm great or I'm bad. And the guys that are playing well, they start to realize through the process that it's just a shot at a time. And that sounds so cliche, but it's just a shot at a time. And whether it hits something and goes on the green or hits something and goes in the water, it's just a shot. And it, it just has got to have a, the same emotional value. And you see guys that, you know, when guys are making a lot of birdies, the really good ones you can't tell. They're just kind of businesslike. And, and I think that's what you always, that's what you always look for. I mean, it's so hard. I just think back to, you know, junior golf. You live and die by every shot and every round, right? You think yeah. it's the end of the world. Oh, yeah. And I can only imagine what it's like, you know, playing when your money's on the line and you're, you know, you're trying to make a living. How difficult, like how hard that actually must be. 
when you're in that position. Yeah. You know, everybody spends so much time on the range hitting balls and practicing their technique and they practice, you know, their wedge game, their putting. And they don't realize that they've got to practice how to emotionally handle golf. And so in these tournaments, if we're playing good or bad, you know, the guys that understand what they're really up against and that it's not today, this shot's not going to matter one way or the other, but the trend that they set for themselves as far as being in a routine and pre-shot routines and how they handle a good day and how they handle a bad day has a whole lot to do with their future. So one of the things that, that you do is you kind of manage the entire team for a player, yes. right? Like you're looking at all these different components of what they need and, yes. and what they don't. Golf is so different in the sense that when a kid turns pro, it's the first time in his, his golfing career that he doesn't have a coach. Now he's got an instructor. He may have a physiotherapist. He may have a psychologist, but he doesn't have a coach. And he comes out and I, and I liken it like this. A guy is getting ready to start a major business. I mean, you're talking about a multi-million dollar business that golf is. And he is the CEO of this corporation. And the minute he turns pro, he's got so many employees. He's got an agent. He's got an accountant. He's got a caddy. He's got a trainer. He's got a psychologist. And managing that when you more than likely have never had a job is impossible. Nobody would hire you to be the CEO of a company you've never had a job. And I always figure, you know, I was taught by a really smart man that talent minus distractions equals performance. And so kids come right out of college and they are distracted by all the business stuff. So I've always tried to insert myself in between the player and all of those elements. I don't tell him what teacher to use. I don't tell him what caddy to use. I try to help inform him. But I try to manage all those relationships for him so that he doesn't get distracted and he can do his job like any other CEO would do. But that's the main, I'm a distraction eliminator. And, and people don't look at it like that. They think you're, hey, you're an agent and you're going to get me a deal. And you become a coach. You try to become that one constant between all the other, you know, inconsistencies, right? Absolutely. I, I mean, I think there have been some studies looking at amateur players making the transition from amateur to, to uh, pro. And it comes down to that. It's the travel. It's like if they have to book their own accommodation, they yep. have to find the rental car, they have to make it there. Um, the golf is not the hard part for most you know, no. players making that transition. Absolutely not. And, and the funny thing about it is you become a pro golfer, especially you have some success. You start attracting new friends and new experts, people that get you, that kind of lead you astray. You see it all the time, you know, uh, the latest and greatest of things. And, and it's just about doing the same thing over and over again. I always liken it. You know, equipment changes for money. I always liken it. Can you imagine Derek Jeter having, you know, a 50 home run season and telling the guy, hey, I've got a company that's going to play me, pay me a lot of money to use this new plastic bat? And there's no way that they would let him to do that. They wouldn't let it do it. They, but it, it happens all the time. You see new shafts, new putters. And that's the big distractions, that, especially when you get on the PGA Tour. There's a lot of toys out there. And these guys like them. And so trying to keep them focused on exactly what made them successful, you know, they, they're going to go through down periods and not to react by new teachers and new caddies and new trainers. And, you know, we always, you know, when somebody goes into a major slump, you know, we always say somebody's got to go. It's going to be the agent, the teacher, the trainer, the wife. Something's got to go. And, and it, it's sad. But these guys don't have a coach that says, no, it's time. I just had a conversation with a player that I don't represent that had some off-season surgery, and I was asking when he's 
you know, when are you thinking about coming back? And he said, well, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm thinking maybe in three weeks. And I, I said to him, can you imagine a pro football quarterback telling the team when he's ready to come back? No, they're going to have doctors and therapists that will tell the team, all right, now he can come back. And it's one of the big distractions in golf. As amateur players, we're out here playing. We go through slumps. You start searching, right? Uh-huh. You get a lesson. You try to find a swing tip on YouTube. It's just like it's, it's what you do, right? It, it sounds the same thing as going through. It's find a new teacher, find a new thought. But your process has always been, let's figure out what got you here and let's stick with that. History will tell you. I mean, guys that have success with an instructor, I mean, it is a rarity that they can switch instructors and get better. I mean, people can say that Tiger Woods left with Charman and and got better. I mean, that's debatable. I mean, he was already good, obviously. But once you're in the mode and they know how to what to work on, because, you know, I've watched it for a long, long time. The great players, you go with them to a lesson and they work on the exact same thing they were working on 10 years ago. They always go back to the same faults. And it's typically pretty simple stuff. It's not they're not reinventing the wheel. That's for sure. Sometimes it's alignment. Sometimes it's ball position. You know, I've seen Butch Harmon walk up to a player that's not hitting it good and take his foot and move the ball back in his stance half an inch or an inch. And the guy hits a couple and Butch walk away. I mean, it was yeah. always so funny. I've seen him do it. But, yeah, these guys, they have a special talent. I always liken it to, you know, Michelangelo was a sculptor. And no one – he didn't practice sculpting. He just sculpted. And, and sometimes I see golfers practice themselves out of their own natural ability. And they didn't get to this level because they don't have some kind of, they have the it factor. And the searching is just the mindset of not just allowing golf to happen. We always talk about, you know, you've got to allow the golf ball to go where it's going to go. You're doing it. But, you know, it's the trying not to try thing, right? But I use it just to to allow the golf ball to do what it's going to do. But So you say they they have the thing. What about guys you worked with who feel stuck, though? Like they get to the point, maybe they're on the corn ferry, they they can't get off. Maybe that's they're, you know, hovering around 120 and they feel stuck in that place. How do you get over a hump of getting better, right? Well, I mean, it's going to be individual every player. I mean, somebody may have to go to a new ball flight. I know a young guy that's he's been a draw bias player his whole life. He's 30 and he now is, you know, fading the golf ball. And it's changed his whole, how many fairways he hits. It's changed his bad drives to become playable. And it could be as little as that. A lot of times, it just takes maturity. And you don't know when that time comes. And some guys get right out and make it. And then some guys, it may take five or six years. But most of those guys have stayed the same course. And if you see somebody that's changing and moving around, it's not that they can't find a Band-Aid. And again, there's guys can go to different teachers. They're all good. But it really comes down to a consistent pattern of practice and play. And, I, you know, it's just my theory. Yeah. No, absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. It's very hard to execute on because it requires belief and patience. And those are two of the hardest things to have. Totally. And you're talking about, you know, probably the toughest game in the world. And you've got mental aspects to it. You just don't know, you know... I can tell guys know when they're going to start playing well. They, they're starting to click, whatever that means. They just – it happens on the back nine of a tournament. They're going to miss the cut by 10, and they find it, and then they go and win the next week. And that's kind of waiting for that to happen, and that that's, takes a, a special amount of patience. And I, I said it to somebody yesterday, you know, yeah, you're not playing great. But what a great time. Practice your patience. Go through your pre-shot routine and do your job. 
and the results you just don't have any control over. How do you help people stay patient or like what conversations have you had to have when, you know, it's been six months and the scores just aren't going on, but you're trying to help someone stay patient? I mean, some of those conversations have to be really hard, I imagine, giving that advice to, to stay there. Let's stay the course, yes. Well, I mean, you can only go by history. You know, you can look at guys that switch around too much. It just hasn't been a success. So it's more of just saying, you know, if you believe in what you're doing and a belief in a bad swing is probably better than disbelief of a good golf swing. And so, you know, you see a lot of guys that they're not even honest with themselves sometimes of why they're playing bad. They want to tell you that it's because they're not hitting it far enough or that, that they're they're putting bad. And you really get to it is their proximity to the flag on their shots are not good. And that's why their putting is suffering. You know, every foot you go out, you know, it goes, decreases, make percentage goes down tons, right? So it's it's just a, and, and my job is not to be the guy. My job is to have the conversations with the teachers and the caddies and the psychologists. And it's kind of a team approach because it works better. And in that way, it doesn't feel like, you know, somebody's taking over. There's, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an observer and just try to be there. I've caddied for guys to kind of watch and see what's really going on. And I'm not an expert, but, you know, after 30 years, you start seeing consistent things the good players do and the consistent things the bad players do. One of the things I've had conversations with guys that, you know, how often do they have their eyes checked? You know, your eyes are pretty important. You're probably getting older, your eyesight changes. I mean, do you get your eyes checked enough? I, I don't, you know, this is the things sort of a, a baseball team that's paid somebody $100 million is going to see. They're going to, if they get their eyes checked, you know, sports psychology or psychology, you know, everyone goes to get a physical every year. And very few people have ever had a mental checkup just to see where they are. Not necessarily on the golf course, just where they are. And these people, you know, these kids are 22. And by the time they're 28, they're different humans. You know, some of them are starting to get married. Some of them are starting to have kids. These are a lot of things to deal with. So you, you try to help them through that. And, you know, it's just, I mean, I, this sounds bad, but, you know, if a, if a team is playing in the World Series at a home game, the team usually still stays in a team hotel. They have a curfew. And you have players that, that get in the majors, and it's the opposite of that. It's It's more people are involved in their lives. And it, and it sounds, and, it, and it's how do you help them, you know, everybody wants to be a part of it. They've waited all their lives to be a, be in these tournaments. But how do you make sure that they're staying focused on what their job is that week? And it's tough. So all the conversations you have change from a guy that's 22 to 27 to 35 to 43. So it's just a constant checking and checks and balances on what where they're up to. So, I mean, you mentioned a few things that you look at. One is like you're trying to help them treat this very seriously, right? Like mm -hmm. any other professional athlete. You mentioned you're looking at like stats as well. Like what things do you monitor? Like are you watching stats of players oh, to yeah. kind of check in? Is that the a huge PGA thing The Tour ha has amazing stat data that you can study. And, and yeah, I that's what I do at night when I got mm -hmm. nothing to do. I look at stats of players and, you know, you start seeing driver accuracy, you have any stories of like a player that you could share that you've you've seen something and helped or? Yeah, not really. I mean, because I usually will go to the instructor, yeah, or the psychologist. But I, I usually go don't go to the player with stuff that's out of my realm. But if I know this, their 
their proximity to the flag with their wedges, then usually, you know, if it starts slipping out of the, you know, top 50 or 60, then, you know, that's something you have to address. But I never would tell that to a player. I would go to the, the instructor and say, have you seen this? Because these instructors are teaching a lot of people. They don't have a lot of time to just look at a guy and deep dive on what's going on. Three-putt avoidance, speed on the greens. You know, everybody, when their their putting starts fading a little bit, they rarely go get their eyes checked <laughs> as the first thing because maybe their eyes are changing a little bit, and so they're not seeing the line or not seeing the breaks. So, But rarely do I go directly to a player and say, hey, because that's, that's out of my realm of expertise. I mean, I can read data, but, you, you know, I can go to a player and say, all right, well, you're driving it longer, but you're missing 10% more fairways than you did the year that you had your best year. So I would say that to a teacher, but not the player usually, unless they just confront me and say, what do you think? Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're looking for clues is what it sounds like. You're just like looking for the little pieces of like, hey, what are these little edges that we can find to help you perform at your best? Yes. I mean, you know, the, the swing instructor wants to fix the swing, and it may not be the swing. It may be decision-making. Sometimes you talk to the caddies and say, what's going on out there? You know, they're just, you know, they can't, you know, I hear a lot of times caddies because they just can't pick a club. They're just, they're dialing in so much that they can't let go and hit the shot. So all those things, you know, if they've got a sports psychologist or a psychologist, that's kind of the person that you kind of talk to with it. Then say, hey, I'm hearing this information. And the team aspect is the best thing ever. And sometimes it's other players that maybe I represent that will tell me I play with this guy and, and man, this is what's going on. How have things changed over the years? You've you've been around, you know, working with Davis since the 90s. We're sitting here now in 2020. Thinking back to then, was it the same approach? Was there that same team approach, you know, back then? Were things similar or has it just completely changed over the it's years? It's changed. I mean, when I got in the business in the early 90s, um, you know, I went to work for a guy named Vinnie Giles, who's a super accomplished, you know, amateur. And this is where I get this from. It's not like I made it up. He, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that he does. And so in the early 90s, there wasn't, tons of money in our business. It wasn't like the baseball and football player agents. When Tiger showed up in the mid-90s, you know, the endorsement money started going through the roof. And all of a sudden, there were a lot more agents in the business. And it became more of a transactional type relationship. They, you know, they sign players, they do their contracts, they do their travel, kind of stops at that. And they would sign multiple players. You know, I've always signed the most I think I've ever signed is two players in this, in one year because you got to manage it. And again, that's not knocking these guys. I mean, they were doing it. But when the money really started taking off in our business, it got to be really agents and less managers in the business. And that's not say it's bad. It's just different. You don't hear as much about, you know, the, you know, the early 90s listening to Vinnie Giles talk to Tom Kite. You know, it was it was coaching. It was managing or listening, you know. So over time... But it's it seems to have gotten away from that a little bit, you know. The money got big, and so it just it's money changes a lot of things. How is your approach? Your approach has stayed the same. Then your your approach from back then was how you kind of came up was, hey, I'm going to help these players perform at their best, and whatever it takes, we're going to bring whoever needs to come in. We're going to do whatever it takes to to do that. Yeah, I mean, every person that's ever worked for me has played major college golf. These are all accomplished golfers. That's one of the kind of things that. I felt was needed to to really have a relationship with these guys to understand what they've been through, and at some not at their level of, of performance, but the what how much how hard the hard work it takes to to perform at that level, 
and understand the stresses of it. And sometimes, you know, it's as easy as saying, take a week off, put the gloves in the closet. And I've always said, you know, it's the first thing I would suggest to do is to put the clubs in the closet and go fish or go do something and get away from the game. And you can't believe how many times that's just the answer. These guys are just bogged down. It's a I go. It's a tough game. You, one of your interesting stats, every player that you've you've worked with has made it to the PGA Tour. Is that right? Or yeah. yeah. Every Yeah. Every kid that I've signed out of college has gotten on tour, but that's... So you've got a good idea or you're able to read the signs. I haven't pretty... messed them up. <laughs> you know, I mean, these guys are good when I signed them and they, yeah. whoever was assigned them, they got on tour. I don't, I, I've been lucky to sign those guys. I don't think I've messed them up. But there is a, again, these guys come from a college team. They come from in the dorm room, uh, traveling with a coach. I mean, the college golf coach is not teaching them golf. He's kind of helping guide them, direct them, answer questions. They can confide in you. And, you know, they can, you know, tell you what, you know, sometimes a lot of off-course stuff affects on-course. So it's a big change to all of a sudden go to where it's you against the world and add employees to that, a payroll, financial responsibilities. I mean, they're playing more golf than they've ever played in their lives. I mean, these, you know, they get tired. You know, I always say rest is probably the biggest need when they turn pro is to make sure they're getting good proper rest because they're young still so they you know they haven't had that but yeah i mean i've been lucky with the guys we've signed and i I always say that i don't think i've added anything to their performance but i I certainly haven't not paid attention to it and been there to try to help taking a flip to the other side what are some of the red flags you think that you you look for in players of you know, this might impact their performance. Like, you know, for us listening at home, like that we can almost take away is like, what are things that you have seen over time to not work for the longevity of a player? Is there anything that comes to mind? Oh yeah. Just, just the guys that have a major reaction to every shot they hit. I won't go into the guys, but people know who they are. It's every shot and it just wears you down. You don't realize the emotional capacity that it takes to continue to play well. And you just can't let, you know, a double bogey, just lose your mind or a putt lip out from 15 feet. And it just, it just slipped out. Now, look, there's going to be a tad of emotion. There's going to be a, maybe a two second club slam or something. And that's just because these guys, you know, hate to lose, but every shot just, I mean, it, this is a round ball on an uneven surface. And it's, if you think you're going to get good breaks all the time, you just, you're fooling yourself. So it's just, I think, like I say, Emotional stability over the long haul it seems to be the thing that the players that have a long career have. Like just not too high and not too low. Dr. Greg Carton, who you know well, talks about the term self-compassion, right? So treat yourself like you would almost treat a friend. Oh, yeah. Have, have compassion for yourself. Totally. And a lot of people view that as almost like not caring a little bit, right? Like there's almost, are you apathetic about your performance? And the reality is no. It's exactly what you're talking about, right? Like if you react after all the time, you're you're hurting yourself in the long term. Like you, there's no way around it. You can leave the golf course and go have 30 minutes with yourself. And I mean, the the thing that makes these guys, one of the things that makes them so good is they despise to lose. And I, you know, we always say that you find a good loser, you'll find somebody that loses a lot. And these guys don't like to lose. But while you're performing and doing your job, it's not going to help you to get into this self-defeating attitude or 
slump in your head. You know, you can I always I think I said to you yesterday, I like to see a guy hit a shot. I like to see how how his head does. Is he is is his head drop every time he misses a putter? That's he's almost convincing himself to me that, hey, I'm not good enough to be out here. And putts don't go in all the time. And truly if you I mean, how many good tournaments does really the great players have a year? I mean, six? I mean, I don't, you know, probably to them, they've had two. The one, two, they win. But, no, it's it's that emotional stability over the long haul. that, And I think that's true for anybody in the world. I don't think it's just golf. I mean, golf and life are so equal in how to be successful. It, it makes me laugh sometimes to see you can follow the rules of golf and just follow them in life, and it works. You know, you get your, keep your eye on the target. You know, you can't look backwards. can't look forwards. Stay in the moment. All the things that, that that all the life coaches in life tell you how to be happy. Well, that's how you have to play golf. I mean, I, I mean, truly, I've had players that I've caddied for in a tournament, and I will say that night at dinner, I said, you know, man, that, that bounce on three was kind of crazy. And they're like, which one was it? Which which hole was three? <laughs> you know, they don't they don't know. They're like, it was just a shot while they were out there on their walk of that day. So, so that that's. There's, you know, the red flags, you know, just all of them have, I don't want, I hate to use the word bad tempers. They all hate to lose and they have, they have their energy that they use not to lose could be come out sometimes as looking as a temper, but some of them use it to help themselves and some of them use it to hurt themselves. And it's how you use that energy, I guess. So we have a bunch of junior golfers, a bunch of parents that listen. I get messages from them. You know, they're trying to figure this out. They're trying to figure out what's best for their, maybe it's their kid. And just going down all the avenues and hopefully they, they would love one day for their kid to work with someone like you, right? Or to work with you. That would be um, nice. W- what advice do you have? Do you like to see them, you know, grinding it out at every AJGA event and out on all the tours? Do you like to see them going to the best college they can get but not being the best player? Like what, what things have you seen over your career play out with, with those junior golfers? (laughs) Do I like to see the parents, you know, at every shot the player hits and do I, not necessarily. I mean, we're all parents. We, you know, this is, raising kids is tough, but you know, what I don't, what I've seen that's been a negative to clients I've had is, you know, I've had players that were on tour when their parents show up, they don't play as well. And and it's not a negative, but when a kid plays really well and the parents really happy and then the kid plays really bad and the parents sad, you know, kids just want to please their parents. They don't, they don't. And if you tell them, Hey, you're lined up right or left, they don't hear it like a coach telling, they hear their mom and dad is unhappy with them. And I, and again, this is making an assumption. I'm just watching, but these kids just want to please their parents. But if you're playing golf, you're not always going to hit shots your parents. And, you know, I see parents fist pump when they make a putt and duck their head and walk off when they hit, you know, a snipe hook in the trees. And, and that energy transfers to these kids. These kids are looking. They, they're watching their parents' reactions. And you don't ever want to get your kid, when he comes home, to treat him. If he got an A or a C, if he tried, what's it matter? I mean, you just can't push these, you know. So I see that is a detriment. and. It should be if you shoot 65, man, that was a great day. And if you shoot 85, hey, I really love how you handled that. It, I mean, stay away from always, you're not practicing enough. You're not doing this enough. You're not doing that enough. It's it's too much on a kid, I think. 
in my smart opinion. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've a lot of your interaction with younger players is with their parents as well. I'd assume. Oh, sure. So you you have a close understanding of what that's like. Sure. I mean, it has a lot to do with the people that I sign. I mean, if you if you go and look at my client list and then you meet their parents, you'll find there's a big uh, consistent thing with all those parents. Yeah. You know, supportive, super supportive, but not overbearing in any means. And you know, everybody wants these guys to play well. But, you know, I've seen so many kids at 13, 14, 15, you know, I guess they they either start committing to colleges or wanting to commit to colleges. And that's a lot of pressure on a kid. And especially as they're growing right now, they're emotionally growing and they're getting taller. <laughs> they're getting bigger. They're getting stronger. And the golf swing is going to change. You're going to have ups and downs with that. But, you know, it's like you don't want to tell anybody how to parent. But at the same time, what you want out of a kid is to try, give everything they got to it, you know, commit. You want to see them try to do all the right things, but they're not. I mean, they're kids. Grownups don't know all the right things. But based how you praise them on how they handle defeat, how they handle victory, how they treat the other people, how much, you know, did they, did, you know, you didn't give up. You shot 90, but you didn't give up. That's more important than shooting 60. Because I got to tell you, until they start writing you checks for how you play, it doesn't matter. I mean, there's a lot of kids that don't know what AJGA is that are going to be beating those kids. Uh, there's not a necessary road to being good at this game. I think Larry Nelson won three majors. Well, I know he won three majors, but I don't think he started playing golf till 21, coming back from Vietnam. So you're just not going to turn, you're not going to make somebody be better than they can be at that time. And, you know, parents, you know, I, I think over instruction sometimes. Kid plays bad, they rush them back to their instructor. And here's get another lesson. It's probably not the swing. It's just the game. Mm -hmm. I've seen kids instructed out of their ability to play. And, you know, the worst thing I've ever, the worst things I hate to see is a kid that's super good at 14, 15, 16, 17. And by the, when they're 19, they're burned out. And it's not that they don't get on tour. They quit the game. And it's a game for a lifetime. And you hate to see what could make you hate this game. And you and I love the game, right? And so you're always like, how could you just quit? I know so many guys that are so good at this game, but they quit because of what, failure? I mean, that you weren't one of the top 150 players in the world? I mean, there's a lot of other things to be worried about. So I just, you can't predict what a kid's going to be able to do. I like to see kids that play other sports, basketball, football, because it's great mobility. It keeps them in shape, makes them strong. Their minds are freer. They're athletes. Trey Mullinax was a kid that I signed out of Alabama. You know, I mean, I think he played, he played every sport. And yeah, was he the best player on the Alabama team? No, he wasn't the best player. But is he on tour? Yes. I mean, when, when you mature, I'd, I always would rather a guy mature around 424. I don't want to mature in at 17. They don't pay. They don't pay then. <laughs> That's really interesting. I think I've heard you say that line before of doesn't matter till they start paying you for your scores. Right. Like, so is that kind of, I mean, most people have the exact opposite view of that, right? Like everything matters as you're, as you're coming up and whatnot, like the college you go to has a direct impact and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But a lot of your viewpoint is just patience, keep going. And then like, yeah, what is your thought there? I, want, I don't want to put words well, in, your, no, in your mouth. If you get 1% better every month yeah. when you're 17 until you're 22, 
how good will you be? Very good. But they don't want to get 1% better. They want to go 40% better. And if they have to take a shortcut and they're going to find, you know, it just can't happen because this is a mental game. You're playing chess out there. I mean, yeah, you do have to hit the ball. But it's the great players are playing chess. They're taking that course apart mentally. And that takes time. And you don't, you know, everybody always looks at, it'd be like looking at people with money and just following the lottery winners. I call these great players. I don't mean they're lucky, but I mean, to be a Tiger Woods or a Justin Leonard or Jordan Spieth, these guys that can pop right out of college and start winning majors. I mean, I don't know if you can try to follow their path. That's that's a tough one. You want to go look at all the paths that players take. You know, Gary Woodland played, I mean, he's an incredible athlete, you can tell. Butch Kapka, incredible athlete. Dustin Johnson, incredible athlete. I mean, I don't know those guys very well, but I don't think they played 25 AJG events every time. You know, I don't know that what being an All-American on the AJGA team or the Junior President's Cup, I don't, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make it as a pro. I mean, there's a lot of factors that are going to come into that. So you just, because your kid's shooting 77 at 18, doesn't mean he's not going to be on tour. And just because your kid's shooting 65 at 17 definitely does not mean he's going to be on tour. I mean, my best friend growing up was one of the top-ranked junior players in the country when we were 16 and 17. I mean, he was, I mean, I watched him shoot 61, 62, 63. And, I mean, by 22, I don't know that he ever played golf again. And not knocking him, he's a great guy. But it just, you don't know. And pushing a kid, you know, I've, I've had guys, I just want to get back to playing like I was when I was 14. And I'm like, we were 5'1 when you were 14. <laughs> and learning how to play this game is a lot more about imagination than it is technique. But we've kind of gotten to where it's, you know, it's 90% technique. I love that. That is fantastic advice. That is really good. The sun is setting. Absolutely. Um, it's beautiful. This is amazing. How good are the greens today out uh, here? They were too good because they showed you that if you missed it, it was you. It wasn't them, right? Um, they were <laughs> Absolutely. great. Absolutely. No, the greens are great here. They're about, I think they're about 13 on the step meter. And for February 5th, that's pretty, that's pretty good. This is a pretty cool place. It is amazing. Hey, this was fun, man. We'll have you back. You're, oh. uh, you're on the Tour Coach podcast with Tony yep. a little bit. I'm sure yep. he'll have uh, more with you coming so people can catch you there. Oh, thank uh, anywhere you. else people should, should follow you or if they want to stay in touch with what you're doing. <laughs> right now, this is about it. You can follow me between you and Tony. Yeah, I don't think anybody else wants to hear me. Um, but thanks for having me. Appreciate Perfect. it. Perfect. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. My pleasure.